You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Okay, turn to the Old Testament book of Micah, and we're going to be starting with the first nine, nine verses of the book of Micah. I am so thrilled that we have the opportunity this weekend to unpack this book. Now, sadly, we're not going to be... Okay, great. That's great. So, how about this? Look in the beginning of your Bible, and you see, in the beginning, contents. No, I'm not. I'm not joking. They're so difficult to find because if I said it, it'd be like, oh, it's before. Yeah. Oh, it's the passage. No, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles if you have them. You can use the the booklet, but if you have your Bibles, I prefer you to turn in your Bibles, and look at the beginning in the uh, contents of your Bible. It's right after Jonah before Nahum, which I knew wouldn't help, which is why I'm saying look to the contents and get the page number. Um, you're right. Listen, I, Deborah just mentioned that I have a PhD in the Old Testament. Not too long ago, someone told me to turn to Jonah, and I couldn't find it. <laughs> so I just want you to know, join the club and use your table of contents. All right. You what? I know. It's just so hard to find. Um, okay. This weekend, we're going to be unpacking select passages from the Old Testament book of Micah. And here's the deal. With adult learners, you always want to say why you're learning what you're learning. I've got one objective. (laughs) Now, there are several things that hopefully the Lord will do among us, but there's one main thing that I have been praying that God would do in my heart, starting here, and would also do in your heart. And that is that he would set before us God in his unrivaled splendor. that we would see how incomparable, how amazing is the God who is our God and we, whom we know through the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the name Micah actually means who is like the Lord. What a good name. And Micah brings his book to its culmination in chapter 7, verse 18 with this question. Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. That question, who is like the Lord, that's the burning question of this book of Micah. And my prayer is that God in his kindness would have that be the burning question in your heart and in mine. Now listen, if we leave here Sunday and what God has done is that in every single one of us, he has stirred up that question that in a deeper way than ever before we cry out who is like our God I'll count it a successful retreat that is what I'm after that is what I'm praying for might God be exalted in our midst and might we see how incomparable he is before we press into the first nine verses of the book of Micah I want to give us a a sense for the terrain now you see, at my y'all have like fancy handouts in your booklet, and then you can tell which ones are mine. Uh, you see, on the pe- on your tables, you should have handouts. Yep, like this. At the top. If you don't have one, raise your hand. If you don't have them, we will get them to you. But at the top of page one on your handouts, you see right there. There's a chart where I've shown you the the book of Micah and its structure. People disagree about the best way to divide the book of Micah, but here's my view. In my view, the best way to divide the book of Micah is to see it as three rounds, three main sections. And in each section, the prophet takes the same strategy. 
He begins by calling God's people to hear an announcement of God's coming judgment against their transgression. So he says, hear, and then lays out um, an announcement of God's coming judgment against their transgression. And then he moves, after this announcement of judgment, he moves to an announcement of God's future salvation for the remnant of God's people. Now, by remnant of God's people, I mean the true believers among the people of Israel and Judah. It's like the difference, you know, do you all use the language of visible church, invisible church? The visible church are people who belong to a local church. But not everyone who belongs to a local church has actually put her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The true church, the true Israel of God, are those women who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's that remnant who will experience God's future salvation. So look again at your chart. You see three rounds in Micah of here, people, announcement of God's coming judgment on the whole nation, and then then an even more future announcement of God's salvation of the remnant. Round one, round two, round three. It seems to me that that's how the book breaks up. So sadly, as I've said, we won't be able to unpack the whole book. But let me give you a brief explanation for why I've chosen the passages that I've chosen. Tonight we're going to look at the first nine verses of round one. And it's all judgment. (laughs) Then, tomorrow morning, we're going to look at the end of round one, which catches the final bit of judgment and the full salvation. And then what we're going to do tomorrow afternoon and Sunday morning, we'll look again at the beginning and end of round three. So, the beginning and end of round one, the beginning of the end of round three. The reason that I've done that is because I am eager, by God's grace, to have each of us set up to dig into the book of Micah on our own. And it seems to me that this strategy is going to give us the the best overview of the book so that we can leave here and really dig into this letter. In fact, may I make a recommendation? You see on that chart, we've got three rounds of two halves. How about for this next week, one day, you take a half of a round And by six days, you're through the whole round, and then on the seventh day, reflect on the whole book. Let's let this word keep doing its work in our heart. So that's my humble recommendation. All right, let's dig in. But first, oh look, I can't move. But first, a little self-disclosure. I am not even remotely a morning person. Some of you are morning people. I am not even remotely a morning person. It seems to me that among the most horrible things in the universe is getting woken up early in the morning. And in fact, if if any of you came to my cabin tomorrow morning and you woke me up early in the morning, I would probably say something like this, what is wrong with you? Why have you ruined my life? This is terrible. You've opened the curtains and all the light is flooding in and everything was perfect before you came in and ruined it. But, let's do a little thought experiment. What if the reason that you came into my room to wake me up tomorrow early morning is because there's a fire in the room next door and you're trying to spare me? Well, certainly in that case, even someone like me would would understand that your act is not an act of cruelty. It's an act of love. It's an expression of mercy. The prophet Micah is aiming to wake up God's people. (laughs) Wake them up to the reality of God's coming judgment against their sin. 
There's a fire in the kitchen, so to speak. And Micah is running frantically into the bedroom of God's people, shaking their shoulders and telling them to wake up to the reality of God and the reality of the consequences of their sin. You know, so often, nowadays especially, preachers like to flatter us. They like to tell us how wonderful we are and, or else, you know, how wonderful we could be if we followed these ten easy steps. But you know the best preachers? The best preachers are the ones who tell us the truth. The best preachers are the ones who care about our soul enough to tell us what is true of God and what is true of our relationship with him. Micah's one of those preachers. (laughs) In the Old Testament, God sends preacher after preacher to his people, men and women who function as prophets and prophetesses. Micah is one such prophet. He's what we might call a covenant litigator. I spoke with one of you a moment ago whose husband is a litigator. (laughs) Micah's a covenant prosecutor. What he does is he takes God's law and he goes to a, to a particular generation and applies God's law to that generation to show them how they're not living according to God's word. He's, he's aiming to wake them up, to show them the ways that they're falling short. Now, is he doing that because he's cruel? No. It's an act of mercy. He's aiming to wake up his generation to the reality of God. Now, God is, is angry, we will see. He has righteous anger against his people on account of their transgression. But rather than simply wipe them out without warning, which he, which he could have done, right? He sends Micah. He sends Micah to shake their shoulders and wake them up. So that is, we want to have that in mind as we read these difficult words. Now specifically, let me make, let me make plain what is the actual judgment that Micah is warning God's people about. Specifically, the coming judgment is this enemy nation, Assyria, and then for Judah, an enemy nation, Babylon, coming into the promised land, taking them captive, and taking them into exile. That's the judgment that these people are facing, and Micah is aiming to, warning, to warn them. Now, we know that this pattern of God sending a preacher to warn his people is nothing new. He's been doing it since the beginning. Do we remember how God graciously told Adam what would happen if he ate of the forbidden fruit? And do we remember how God graciously appealed to Cain not to indulge in that sin that wanted to destroy him? And then, of course, ultimately we see God's kindness, his grace to send warning in the teaching ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is God's perfect prophet, the most faithful prophet we can ever imagine. And you know what's true about the Lord Jesus' teaching ministry is that the Lord Jesus often speaks difficult words of warning, doesn't he? He often is warning God's people of coming judgment unless they turn and repent. And we hear that he will come back one day. And when he returns, he will judge those who have not put their faith in him. This is a critical aspect of Jesus' teaching ministry, but the truth is that at least the contemporary evangelical church, we gloss over it. We ignore it because we do not like it. It makes us uncomfortable. But it's important that we be woken up. So yes, it is brutal to be woken up, 
But God loves me and God loves you too much to let you sleep without warning. These are vital truths for this generation. Let me just remind us of how vital this is and then we'll jump into verse 1. You know, Birmingham is filled with women who attend church services regularly and maybe who are even active participants in their local church. But their hearts are far from the Lord. And they are not living according to God's word. They don't know God, nor do they want to. Their lifestyle is out of accord with him. And what Micah tells us is that God will not be fooled. And even those of us in here who who actually do believe in the Lord Jesus, and we've put our faith in the Lord Jesus, so we're part of that believing remnant that God saves, we too, our hearts can drift. And you know, it it is the constant chronic temptation of humanity to shape God into an idol after our own image, to to tame him, to domesticate him. And here's what Micah says, no, you must have God as he really is. You must know him as he really is. With that in mind, let's now read Micah verses 1 through 9. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which Micah saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Samaria and Jerusalem are the capital cities of Israel and Judah, respectively. And the capital cities are representative, uh, exemplary of the whole nation. Hear you peoples, all of you. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. And let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains will melt under him. And the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What's the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what's the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. For this I, that is Micah, I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. For her wound, that is the wound of Samaria, her wound is incurable, and it has come to Judah. It has reached to the gate of my people, to Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Not the typical opening text for a women's retreat, huh? In these opening verses, Micah develops an urgent message 
that every single one of us must take very seriously. The living Lord is graciously warning his people of his judgment against their sin, so you better listen. Here's the message. The living Lord is graciously warning his people of his judgment of their sin, so you better listen. That's Micah's main point, and we'll examine it in two stages. First, verse 1. Verse 1 establishes that the living Lord is graciously warning you through his prophet. Then verses 2 through 9 give the content of that warning. Namely, the living Lord warns his people of his judgment of their sin, so you better listen. So first, verse 1, the living Lord is graciously warning you through his prophet. The word of the Lord that came to Micah. Just in the the first few words of the book, we behold the marvelous grace of God. (laughs) He brings his word to his people through his prophet Micah. We can easily gloss over the enormous grace presupposed in the fact that we have this book, the Bible. We We can gloss over that and take it for granted, but this book is rock solid evidence that the living God The very God who spoke a word and everything that exists came into existence. That living God has spoken to you in this word personally, powerfully, with the intent to transform you and bless you. And he's been speaking to his people across the ages. Throughout generation and generation, God has been providing prophets to his people to speak his word to them. to to shine God's bright light on the darkness of his people, to point them the way forward. The remainder of verse 1 establishes that the living Lord, through his prophet, speaks to real people in real time and real space, addressing real issues. You want to know why that is? Because God loves real people. (laughs) He loves real time and real space, and he cares about their real issues. (laughs) This God has made you, and he's the only one who can make you whole. That's why he speaks to you. When you and I were groping around in the dark east of Eden on account of our sin and brokenness, God spoke. He took initiative. He went after you, and he spoke to you. He sent his prophet to you, his messenger. He gave us this book, which is filled of his spirit, filled with his speech. And then ultimately, he not only gives us his inscripturated word, he sends us the word made flesh. Your God is speaking to you. And tonight, he's graciously warning you. Now, Peter refers to the Old Testament prophets whom the Holy Spirit carries along. I love that language. Micah is one of those prophets who's carried along by the Holy Spirit. If you have your Bibles... Turn to Micah chapter 3, verse 18. No, sorry, verse 8. And in in Micah 3, verse 8, the prophet makes plain the nature of his prophetic uh, calling. He's talking about false prophets and those who are lying preachers, and he's differentiating himself from them. And here's what he says in verse 8. I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and might. Now, what's his vocation? to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. I bet, I bet your job description is better than that. I mean, that is a rough job description. That's his vocation. 
to declare sin and transgression. And yet, this is God's mercy. He's sending Micah to wake up God's people. Tonight, the living Lord is speaking to you, to me, through his prophet. Okay, so what does he say? We've established that God is speaking to us through his prophet. What's he saying? We can summarize verses 2 through 9 again as saying, the living Lord is graciously warning his people of his coming judgment against their sin, so you better listen. Now, Micah does more than just say that, doesn't he? He really gives us at least four reasons why we should listen when God speaks. We can see the first reason in verses 2 through 4. And listen, I'm going to spend the majority of time on this one, so don't be getting all nervous on me, all right? Uh, The first reason, why should God's people listen to the living Lord when he speaks a word of judgment? Well, first, verses 2 through 4, because the Lord is the transcendent judge, and he is surely coming. He is transcendently holy, and his coming is certain. Verse 2 portrays the judge's summons. You notice that? He's summoning all the nations of the whole earth to listen to his case against his people. He says, verse 2, Hear you peoples, all of you. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. And let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. This is like the, the you know, person saying, All rise. <laughs> We're being summoned to hear the indictment of the living judge. And then in verses 3 through 4, We've been summoned. Now in verses 3 through 4, the judge appears. And what happens when he shows up? He roars from his heavenly temple to indict his people. Now even though, again, the the indictment is focusing on the sins of his people, he's calling the whole earth to serve as a witness. Look how Micah portrays the Lord. Look Look at your Bible. Follow the text. Look how he's portraying the Lord. The Lord is so awesome so holy, so powerful, that the mountains melt like wax before him. The valleys are splitting open, and it's like water pouring down a steep place. His appearance is earth-shattering. Earth-shattering. The whole earth is quaking. His judgment is fierce. This reminds us, doesn't it, of when the Lord shows up on Mount Sinai, When God shows up, the cosmos is affected. The whole earth is quaking. Now, what's Micah after? Is he just trying to scare us? Why is he showing us and underscoring and highlighting the awesomeness of God? Well, Micah's been commissioned to declare the sin and the transgression of God's people. But Micah knows that the root of their problem isn't that they're not taking their sin seriously. That's actually a symptom of a deeper problem. The root of their problem is that they're not taking God seriously. They do not know God for who he really is. They don't appreciate his transcendent holiness, his singular authority to judge transgression and his singular authority to pardon transgressors. So how does this passage show that these people are flippant toward God? How do we see that? God's people 
are also worshiping idols. Idols. Look at verse 7. The Lord is coming to the earth, and what does he focus on? To dash in pieces the idols of his people. Here's the picture. Rather than devoting themselves to the one true God, the God who delivered their ancestors from slavery in Egypt, this lot has decided to take up with other gods, other idols of wood and stone like the nations. And the prophet knows exactly what that means. He understands that their idolatry reveals that they are not taking God seriously. Because here's the truth of the matter. There's only ever one explanation for idolatry among Christians. It's that we've lost sight of who God really is. We've lost sight of his awesomeness, of the greatness of his holiness and the greatness of his grace. We've lost sight that he is the only God. We've lost sight of him. The reason that you and I trivialize our sin is because we first trivialized God. That's the reason. So the cure for idolatry, the cure for an idolatrous heart like mine, it isn't to just hunker down and pull myself up from my bootstraps and try to clean myself up. No, here's the cure. It's to regain a vision for the glory of the great God. That is the cure for an idolatrous heart, and that is why Micah begins his book the way that he does. He sets before God's people who God really is. And sisters, he is awesome. He is awesome. Micah begins his prophecy by saying, do you realize that the one you are trivializing is the transcendently holy living Lord of the cosmos? The one who is the judge over all things, who has the authority to judge and the authority to pardon. Do you realize whom you are trivializing? I began tonight by commenting on the structure of the whole book. We've said that the book really comes in three rounds, and each round begins with a call to God's people to hear a declaration of God's coming judgment and then a declaration of God's future salvation and mercy to the remnant of his people. But here's the thing. If you and I are asleep to God's transcendent holiness in his hatred of sin and in his authority to judge transgressors, then you and I will also be asleep to God's transcendent holiness and his mercy to pardon, and his mercy to restore. To the same extent that we imagine God to be diminutive in his justice, we will imagine him to be diminutive in his mercy. (laughs) The two are interrelated, justice and mercy. They're, they're, They're connected, they're inextricably linked and bound to his character as judge. And so, just like our brothers and sisters in Micah's day, my greatest need and your greatest need is for God to open our eyes so that we might see him, so that we might be awed by his might. It's only when we see God rightly that we can delight in him fully. It's only when we see God rightly that we can live lives that please him. 
The key to right living is right seeing. <laughs> it's the key to right living. To live a godly life, we must set our eyes on the living God. <laughs> the first reason Micah gives for why God's people better listen when God speaks a word of judgment is simply this. Because he is the transcendently holy judge. And he is coming. It is certain. Now, sisters, we'll move much more quickly through the remaining points. The additional reasons that Micah gives for why we must listen to God's word. Along with the judge's transcendent holiness, why else must we listen when God speaks a word of judgment? Second, in verse 5, because the judge's judgment is just. (laughs) That is, God's people are guilty as charged. It's because of their transgression that the Lord is coming out of his holy temple in heaven. His anger is righteous anger. Now here's the truth. Down deep inside, every single one of us knows that we're a sinner without excuse, right? (laughs) Think about how much human behavior can be explained by understanding a human guilt complex of our weary souls. The reason Jesus died for our sins is because we really are sinners. And our sins really will damn us if we do not have a Savior. That is why Jesus died. Micah is saying to us, the divine judge's judgments are just. And you know it. In fact, people of Judah... You know where the center of idolatry is? Look at verse 5. It's in Jerusalem. Or we might say, it's in the church. (laughs) Unless we imagine that God's people in the visible church are immune to his fierce judgment and discipline, Micah keeps on giving reasons why we must listen to God about his coming judgment. Verses 6 and 7 gives us a third reason. Namely, because the Lord's judgment will be devastating and total. Here's what Micah says in these verses. Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces, and all her wages shall be burned with fire. And all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return." As the prophet indicts God's people and calls them up on charges, he specifically focuses on the sin of idolatry. That is, the sin of worshiping other gods. That's Micah's major complaint with God's people. They're trying to worship God and also other gods. Now, this sort of religious syncretism, we can't relate to it, right? (laughs) Wrong. We also try to worship God and hold on to our pet idols, those things to which we yield worship and serve rather than living God himself. An idol is is anything or anyone that displaces God in our life. Anything or, or anyone to which we give our ultimate allegiance, our deepest hopes and dreams, our best Among the many idols that we churchgoers in this room, that that we worship in our day, is greed. The God of money. The God of prosperity. 
Greed is driving us to worship these gods of money, prosperity. We know, of course, the New Testament tells us that where your heart is, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. The same is true in Micah's day. In their greed, Micah's neighbors, God's people in Jerusalem, were also giving their heart to the relentless pursuit of prosperity. Among God's people in Jerusalem, and among God's people in Memphis, and among God's people in Birmingham, greed so often displaces God in our lives. Many of the social elite in Micah's generation, they enjoyed significant prosperity. And we're going to see this increasingly as we go through this book. And over time, their pursuit of wealth led to increasing corruption. The, the society became more and more corrupt. So throughout the book of Micah, the prophet is charging God's people with extortion, oppression of the poor, and other sorts of economic and social injustices. But here's something fascinating about the society in Micah's day. They were very religious. They were very pious in offering sacrifices at the temple, in saying their liturgies. And so these people are imagining that just because they show up to the temple in Jerusalem and dutifully follow their ostensible, you know, external religious rituals, that they're safe. We see this in the book. They believe that they're safe because they're God's chosen people, right? Their religious heritage. Or God put his temple among us, didn't he? They actually think that their religion makes them immune to God. They, they've turned God into an idol, a plaything, a godlet, another territorial de- de- deity, just like the other nations, that they can serve at their own leisure. They're using God. Why? Because they've trivialized him. This is cutting to the heart, it cuts to mine. They're using God because they've trivialized him. They're treating his grace as a license, as a springboard to live whatever kind of lives they want to lead, especially in their economic practices, in the way that they go after money, and the way that they spend money. Let's put it in our terms. How often do we assume that provided we show up on Sunday morning for corporate worship, it's really okay if for the rest of the week, we truly give our heart to something or someone other than God. You know, if something or someone else for the rest of the week really gets our best, really gets us up in the morning, really gets us going, as long as we show up on Sundays, as long as we say the right liturgies, speak the right prayers, sing the right songs, maybe even close our eyes at times, you know, like we really mean it, as long as we do these religious things, we're okay, we're safe, right? And so we can feel rather justified in devoting the majority of our attention and of our heart to building our portfolios, climbing the social ladder, chasing those, the social standing and prestige that we want, chasing the social and standing, standing and prestige we want our children to have, building magazine-quality homes. These things... These things occupy our hearts and our mind. That's what gets our most attention. That's what has our heart. And we think that's okay. (laughs) Here's what Micah says. God 
God will have none of it. That is not why he redeemed us, so that we could just exploit his grace. No, God will destroy our idols. It's a hard word, but look right there, verses 6 and 7. God will destroy our idols. God is the great iconoclast. He brings his righteous judgment to bear on the very idols to which we cling, those things that we yield our heart to instead of him. God will brook no rivals. Again, look again at verses 6 and 7. On account of Judah's and Israel's idolatry, the Lord will utterly destroy the land of Samaria, including its idols. The judge's judgment is devastating, and it's total, and it's focused on matters of the heart, on what or whom we worship instead of him. And you notice that the punishment fits the crime. One idolatrous nation is given to another. The Israelites are ultimately getting what they asked for. In case we need a fourth and final reason for why we ought to listen when God graciously warns us of his coming judgment, Micah gives it to us. Verses 8 and 9, Micah gives us our final reason why God's people better listen. Because the Lord's judgment will be grievous and thorough. As far as their transgression has spread, God's judgment will come. We see this in Micah's personal response to this word of judgment. He's affected deeply. This is not something that he takes lightly. No, it lands on him. And we see that in verses 8 and 9. Micah says, For this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. For her wound, Samaria's wound, is incurable, and it has come to Judah. It has reached to the gate of my people, to Jerusalem. God's declaration of his coming judgment devastates Micah. Micah describes himself ripping off his outer garments and walking around wailing like a wilderness beast. The people's desperate condition is far-reaching. It's so deep that he calls it incurable. It's like that rapidly growing cancer that began in Samaria, but it's metastasized in Judah. Micah's raw grief ought to lead me and you to ask ourselves, have we invested our hearts in the state of the broader church such that the sin and idolatry and brokenness that we see there devastates us? This portrait of the lamenting prophet challenges us to cultivate godly concern for the church. It also reminds us, doesn't it, of Jesus' lament over Jerusalem. Micah's strong identification with God's people, evidenced in his lament, it's eclipsed by Jesus' strong identification with God's people, evidenced in his lament. So as Micah opens his prophetic book, he's, he's desperately pleading with God's people to wake up. He announces God's future judgment, the judgment God will bring against Israel and Judah if they don't repent. Micah's portrait of judgment here in Micah 1, verses 1 through 9, it points forward to the, to the judgment that God will bring and did actually bring. In 722, the Assyrians invaded Samaria. And then in 587, 586, the Babylonians invaded Judah. But the judgment here 
Okay, yeah, so it points forward even further than that also to the judgment that God will bring when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And the judgment that God brought against Israel and Judah in that day, it's a foretaste of the judgment that God will bring in the ultimate day when the Lord Jesus returns. Peter says that God's purifying discipline will begin at the household of God, the church. So what are we to do? How do we to respond to a word like this one that is so soul-jarring? Well, let me remind you how King Hezekiah responded. <laughs> King Hezekiah heard Micah's prophecy, and here's how he responded. Jeremiah tells us that when Micah approached King Hezekiah and spoke the words that Jerusalem would become a heap and that God's temple would be destroyed, Hezekiah listened. Hezekiah took the Lord at his word, and so he sought the Lord's favor. And you want to know what happened? That was in around 701 B.C. The text tells us the Lord relented of the disaster that he had pronounced against them. When Hezekiah turned from his sin and led the nation to turn to the Lord in faith, the Lord spared that generation. He spared that generation. Why? Because the Lord longs to show mercy. He longs to show mercy. And what we see in this example of Hezekiah listening to Micah, it's just a picture of what the Lord longs for in our hearts here tonight. (laughs) And that is how we must respond to Micah 1, 1 through 9. God is providing you and me an escape, a way out of his judgment if any of us will look to the Lord in faith and repentance. We must take God's word seriously because we take God seriously. When we rightly see the chasm between God's transcendent holiness and our rebellion, then we are prepared to accept God's provision of mercy. And what is that provision of mercy? Forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ. Acceptance in Christ simply by placing our faith in him, by by taking God at his word, receiving the mercy of Christ. For those of us in this room who are already believers in Christ, God doesn't ignore our sin. He paid for it. God in Christ doesn't ignore our sin. He pays for it. On Calvary's cross, Jesus took, think about this, in light of what we've just studied, Jesus took on the full measure of the righteous judge's wrath for my sake in my place. That's what he did on Calvary's cross. God's most faithful prophet was wounded for my iniquities, for my sins, for my transgressions. On the cross, the Lord Jesus bore the fierce and just judgment of God, and he did it for the joy set before him. This terrifying portrait of God's coming judgment in Micah 1, it awakens my slumbering soul, and it deepens my gratitude for what the Lord Jesus accomplished for me at the cross. Everyone who has put her faith in Jesus Christ, what's the judge's posture toward you now? 
The judge's posture toward those who are in Christ has radically changed. There is therefore now no condemnation. Jesus has secured for us not only freedom from condemnation, but the presence of approval. Whose approval? This awesome judge. His approval. His pardon. His benediction. This mighty one who, when he appears, the the mountains break open, the valleys split like water pouring down a steep place. That's the one whose approval Christ has secured for you. That is what God has done on the cross. Yes, our Father lovingly disciplines us in the church, but he won't punitively judge us because we are safe in Christ if we are part of his believing remnant, if we have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And ultimately, friends, it's when we see and savor Christ that we're empowered to turn from our sin and to turn to God, to to repent even of our idolatry. Here's how John Calvin puts it. I'm Presbyterian, so I have to quote him. (laughs) Human beings will never worship God with a sincere heart or be roused to fear and obey him with sufficient zeal until they properly understand how much they are indebted to his mercy. The Lord God, the living God of the cosmos, calls every single one of us here tonight to respond to his word in Micah 1, 1 through 9. If you've never before taken God seriously, if you've never before put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Tonight is the night. Don't sleep through the fire. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If you have before put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you belong to him, let your heart be awakened to his reality. Be sobered by his greatness and be humbled. May every single believer in Christ, in a more profound way perhaps than ever before, may we bow in awestruck worship over this mighty God. Let's pray. Father, we need you to open our eyes. Thank you, Father, for sending a word, for sending your prophet Micah, ultimately for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I ask that you would continue to let your word do its work in our heart, starting with me. May we be women who are forever changed on account of seeing the greatness, the incomparable greatness of you in the book of Micah. Who is a God like you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.